what if I had stayed in the law and not shifted out? I would have been miserable, miserable. And my parents wouldn't have liked that anyway. And I wanted to be there for all those wow moments. So yeah. that's why I decided my focus is going to be on my kids. But they don't necessarily have the equipment yet to deal with it. Most of, most of the time, they're experiencing something for the first time. What is this emotion? Why is this person bullying? Why is this happening? The books are really well-made books. They're hard copy books. They're offset printing. I didn't want to cut any costs in terms of delivering something of, of real permanence to them. So it's open your heart, open your mind, trust yourself, and allow your dream to come into focus and follow it. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. I am super grateful to have you all here again this week. If you're new to the show, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening and watching us here. Although I want to say this show is not about me and my guests. This is this show is actually about you, about creating that life that you want. That's what we why we are here today to share deep, raw, and honest conversations. I hope you like what we do. Um, if you do, please you know, share this with somebody that needs to hear this message. I have a very interesting guest today, and um, I think you're gonna enjoy listening to her story and her journey. Uh, she's on an amazing mission to donate 1 million books to children living in underserved communities. Uh, she has written a series of books for children, and we're going to honor and share her story and dig deep into why she's doing that. So welcome, Nancy Gans, to the I Love Success podcast. Thank you, Peter. It's such a pleasure to be with you and your guests. Yeah, awesome. So I want to go. I want to want to go back to your early life. Can you just talk a little bit about you as a kid? Who was Nancy as as a young kid? Where did you grow up? What did you dream about? And uh, how did life go about as a kid? Peter, I love that you start there because as a coach, I see so much of what people feel and experience as adults does go right back to who they were as kids. But sometimes it's all, all those, those tragedies or negative beliefs that get kind of embedded as they go on that they don't always remember who they really are, which is who they really were. So for me, what I do now, interestingly, is similar to where my heart song really started. I, as I just said, I was in the parenting and executive coach, which sounds a little dichotomous, right? Because one is with professionals and one is with parenting, but those two loves of mine started very early. You know, when people are around nine, a lot of the skills actually start to zero in. You can see talents and skills. And for me, I was this little, like wonky little entrepreneur right from the start. So going from that time and starting actually when I was five years old, I had this little plastic creepy crawler set that I like a hot plate and I would make my own little creatures and sell them in school before class started. And, you know, just as a side issue, I would never let my kids play with a little metal device like that. But I was always figuring out a way that fill an E, fill an E. These kids didn't have their own machine and I did. So <laughs> I was selling those and then cinnamon sticks and, you know, moving forward, I was, as a seven-year-old, I was already taking, you know, interest in the stock market and carpool. I'd be talking to the moms and dads about bull markets and bear markets. And everyone's smiling and say, how old are you? <laughs> but they knew how old I was. I was their, their child's dear friend. But it was always my passion. It was always my love business and, and you know, serving a need and also kids. I always loved kids. But then somehow... I ended up in law school fulfilling my mom's dream to be a lawyer rather than my dream to be in business. 
And from day one, it was a struggle. Not, you know, thank God I could do the academics, but emotionally it, it was taking such a toll on me because I knew I wasn't on my life path. Didn't want to disappoint my my mother. Didn't My father actually would have been supportive either way, but my mom really wanted her dream <laughs> to bloom in her daughter. And so I felt really stuck in that. And then I also have that like stick to itness. So I was determined to finish. So it was a pretty punishing three years. And when I finished, I just knew I didn't want to continue doing that. So I pivoted to finance and fortunately found myself in one of those programs, but it's a lot like Will Smith and happiness. So it's tough and rough, especially because I had no finance background. I had you know, my degree in law. I had a bachelor's in communications and psych no finance other than my love of, of investing as and the stock market as a little person. So most people started in the program with a book of business and with the background. I had neither. And I stepped in and it wasn't long after I started that I got divorced. And interestingly at that time, thank goodness it's not quite as much this time, the salaries were actually pegged Married men got the most because the assumption was they were going to be taking care of their wives. And then single men got the second most. Married women got the third of the single women got the third most and married women got the least. So I was basically earning not enough to sustain my life. And I was so proud. I was determined to do it on my own, but I didn't really have the wherewithal. I had watch every dollar watch everything that I was doing. And I had to pass, I had to pass every single thing. And with that fear, with the stress, and I had to just keep focusing on what I wanted and what I wanted to achieve. And I got through all the gates and then finally was down to, okay, now you have to get your book of business in this amount of time or bye. It doesn't matter that they had invested all this time. It wouldn't have mattered. It would have been gone. And I, two points that I remember the most, and even to this day, will kind of put a chill through me, are that first client, they would literally give us a binder, this little binder, and you you would put the client information so that you'd always have it right by your side. And I remember I'll be excited. I got my first client. But the sound of the binder, click, because it was only one client. That sound, click which also was like, oh my gosh, what would failure be if I don't fill this binder? And then the fact that I needed to get the Wall Street Journal. But as I said, I was watching every penny, every dime, and certainly every dollar. And as you know, the Wall Street Journal comes out with the one-month rate, three-month rate, and certainly the three-month rate was a much better deal. But I thought, what if I don't make it? I will spend that extra money. <laughs> and I heard my own thought. What if I don't make it? And I realized I had to get the three month. I had to make the commitment to the fact that I would make it. And in the reverse, what if I had actually just done the one month? Every day I read that paper, that thought would have been in my mind, in a month will I still be here? So I would have bought into a negative daily negative thought pattern as opposed to the commitment to making it. Yeah. And in time, I actually built a very big book of business and thank God made a, a big success of that and then became a money manager and co-owned and ran a wealth management company, which we ended up selling. And that kind of led to the next journey where I could focus on this passion of coaching and you know, hence the executive coaching and then the parenting coaching, which was a whole nother story. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, I want to dig a little bit deeper into two things <clears throat> because I think there's, there's a lot of people out there uh, that have dreams and there's also a lot of parents out there that have dreams for their kids and they do not always align. And it, I think that most parents want their best for their kids, of course, but somewhere in the middle, it 
takes away the happiness as well. So can you just talk a little bit about like how did that mind space of yours, like during law school or even before uh, growing up with having that, like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a lawyer. That's what my mom wants. And then realizing that I really don't want to do this and it's not gonna make me happy. How how is that process? Can you just talk a little bit about that to help others that are in the same position? Absolutely. It's so important. It, it, you're right, it works both ways. A lot of times kids see what their parents are doing and they think, oh, I want to do that, but they weren't born with those skills or they weren't born with those talents. And so that sets up a whole paradigm of disappointments and a sense of they're not measuring up. And on the other side, you're right, parents can look at their children and think, oh, I want them to to follow follow in my footsteps. I want them to to be like me, right? Instead of just taking the time and realizing everyone is gifted, everyone. The question is what? What's your gift? What's your passion? And as a parent, if you can let your children just show that, I think that it's really important to have your kids experiment and try as much as they can because they won't necessarily know. But then once they find it, and they'll find it because anyone can put in, become competent if you're willing to put enough effort. But what you're talented at, you know, because it feels easy. How many times do you hear people say, oh, but that's easy. That's your signal. If it's feeling easier to you, that ease, that flow, that's telling you that's one of your talents. That's what you're, you're great at doing. And to be trapped in someone else's dream, to be trapped in someone else's vision, or to feel like your expectations and for your kids are there is part of that whole like sunk cost thing too. Because as you get focused on all that time and all that energy you've put in one direction, it's hard to pull back. But if you don't, what if I had stayed in the law and not shifted out, I would have been miserable, miserable. And my parents wouldn't have liked that anyway. Yeah. And how, how, how did you make that decision? Because you still finished, which uh, was that to make your mom proud and say, hey, I've finished, but now I can move on. Or was it just to show yourself that you could do it or a combination of the two? That's a really good question. In that case, I felt once I fulfilled it, you're right. I I fulfilled the obligation one way or another. And also yeah. I I for me, having stepped out would have felt like I'd let myself down too. I really like to finish things and but once I finished it, I needed to make the commitment to myself. And you know, it's like with the book, the first book that's coming out, Tina, that's that's one of the things that I really feel strongly about. If we end up on a detour. Because I do think we have main paths, main roads that would be spectacular for us to follow, which is really our own heart song, our own passions. But if we end up on detours, that's fine because we learn from those. We pick up skills, we meet people, we adapt. We even, even if it's just knowing I don't want to do that, that's still a lesson. But usually we pick up a lot. Being a lawyer, having the law degree and all that information served me well, even though I didn't want to do it as a career. Those were all skills and I made friends and I learned what that's all about anyway. So it's all win, win, win. You know, we're here in life to experience. This is a journey. You know, when I wrote a quote book and one of the quotes is life is an adventure if you get yourself into the boat. And while it's fun to watch sports, if you're an athlete, Get on the field. And we're actually all athletes. Another quote of mine is, you're the executive in your own life. Take the lead. And to me... That's scary. It's very scary. It's so scary. Life's scary. I have a philosophy of fear, though. My philosophy about fear is that they're actually the signals telling us what we're supposed to go for, what we're supposed to do. And the odd thing about fear is it doesn't go away. Fear is so painful that we all want to run from it. It's like, why wouldn't you want to run from that horrible feeling that can almost make you shake and quake and question everything and, 
and viscerally feel immensely uncomfortable, but it doesn't work. That's the problem with running. Whatever we're fearing, it gets bigger. It's just like a flame. Every time we go away from it, another law gets put on it. It gets larger and larger. And if it gets so large, how do you even get through it then? Whereas at first there's small fires. And if you approach what you're afraid of, the fear goes away. There are, I mean, Peter, I'm sure you've experienced this in your own life and with people you've known. How many of the fears that we face are actually real fears that are going to be truly problematic? I mean, right now with what's going on in the world, there are a lot of fears that are real, that people need to be very vigilant about. But in general, they're emotional. So there are things that we're feeling. And if we just go for it, they get doused. Or at least they get so low we can jump them. Yeah. So can we just talk about, so you built this amazing business that you sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how was that feeling to sell sell your business? Were you Did you feel like you were done in the finance field at that point? Or like what was the kind of decision to, to do that? I did. It felt like I had, I really loved the idea of, of experiencing as much of life as we can. And I felt I had hit the whole arc of what I wanted to achieve and do with that. And it felt very satisfying. And I wanted to try more things. I wanted to experience more aspects of life. So selling the business was, was a real high point for me. But it wasn't the only high point. We have peaks and valleys. And so that's another thing. Sometimes we can think, oh, I did that. Now what? Or can I ever do that again? And to me, that's, no, that's that. You did that. Take take that, put it into your pocket or your heart, and then stay open. And that next venture, that next adventure, that next opportunity it might not come right away. You might not know. And sometimes you have to pause and really be open because I also found that that I would have a tendency to jump into the next thing because I didn't want to just pause. What's next? So I've learned to evaluate, pause, and then what's next? And for me, my focus was my kids. I figured this is a really good opportunity. My kids were still young enough and I wanted to have the time with them. I really didn't want to miss those moments when child runs home, mommy, or, or those those spectacular first things. Anyone that's a parent knows that a child struggles to do certain things, even like to write their first letter and they're trying and trying and trying. And one day it's there. And I wanted to be there for all those wow moments. So yeah. that's why I decided my focus is going to be on my kids. That's awesome. A question to you, because I, I've been an athlete for many years and I always see this with high performance people. We, we tend to uh, do things all in and it's hard to quit because we, are, we love those highs. We love the feeling of success and chasing goals and dreams. Like how long before you sold your business did you feel like you were done or did you did not feel that at all? That's such a good question, and it led to a really critical fork in the road for me. I was fortunate enough that the company that bought us wanted me to stay on as regional manager, which actually had been one of my real dreams because I wanted to have a bigger influence in terms of being able to help people. In business, I think it's so exciting when you can help employees to really find their, as you're saying, find their dream. A lot of times people are doing a job very well, but that's not what they're actually the best at. A lot of, a lot of coaches, like in football, coaches will bring in a player that's been playing on one side of the field and doing okay. But then they realize, wait, let me, let me move them from. And all of a sudden the player accelerates and does so much better. They become a real superstar. And that's the most joy I get is helping people to really accelerate in their lives and realize their dreams. So I thought, wow, that could be a regional manager. I can help build this in a really big way. I can try to help people on a greater scale, but it would have meant a lot of travel. 
So that's why it was really a pivot for me. And I, I did have to take it. It didn't take that long only because it was kids. Yeah. My dream, but it was, I had to go through an analysis of dream versus dream. Both dreams were there. It was jewel versus jewel. It wasn't one versus one was better than the other. It was two jewels. And then equally, it was two regrets. I knew I was going to regret one or the other because, again, I was going to let go of a, of a career goal and dream, or I was going to let go of a lifelong dream to have kids and really be their mommy. Yeah. And then I realized I took time. I actually went to uh, some places where I could just hear the birds. <laughs> I love birds <laughs> because they kind of speak to us with that sweet song from the sky, right? Yeah. And as I sat there and really just calmly thought about that regrets dream, then it became really clear to me. I would always regret the time not spent with my kids because that's, it goes, that's, those are my heart. Those are my loves. So that's how. I love that. And, and I think that what you're saying, jewel versus jewel, I think that's such a great analogy because we are, we're all faced with so many options nowadays and there's so many ways to go. And a lot of times, a lot of us, we have so many ways to go that we go nowhere, right? Because we're just stuck in this, decision-making process all our lives. I mean, even going to the, um, what's called cereals, cereals, choosing cereals could be like a lifetime task <laughs> if you yes. if you make it, right? And let's not talk about bigger decisions. So I think being a good decision-maker and also taking time to listen what's really important, uh, it's so, so crucial. And it sounds like you, you, by doing this, by spending a lot of time with your kids, you also went on a journey to deciding to write these books. So can you just share, like, how, how did you get this idea and, and where did it come from in the beginning? I'd love to share that, but it, I would actually like to say something about what you just said, because that indecision paralysis is something that does affect so many people. And it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. It's the fear fear of making a mistake, fear of something being a permanent issue that's going to get in the way if I've made the wrong turn. And Robert Frost's famous poem about that took the road less traveled, which is a poem I always loved. It turned out he was mocking his friend. His friend was always saying, oh, but what if I make the wrong decision here? You know, and he couldn't choose anything. And as calm as Robert Frost would be like, just decide it's fine. Never. So finally he wrote that poem. I took the road less traveled and it made all the difference. It was a joke because that indecision is so crippling. And that's one of the things that I work on with people who are with adults. And when it comes back to the books, that's something that I find to be one of the most important parenting tips that we can do, which is to help train our children to be decision makers there are so many choices in a day that really don't matter. And we just automatically make them. Like you said, with the cereal, with anything else, don't make the decision. Ask your child, do you want this cereal or that cereal? And the two choice mechanism, even when they're super young, trains that, that brain wire of, of making decisions. And they become very empowered decision makers, even with the small. And the stories, going to your question, when my kids were little, there weren't a lot of stories. I grew up with fables and fairy tales and I've always liked them because they always gave me an idea of how we're supposed to behave in the world. What, what are people's you know, inclinations and, and how do we manage through life? But then there was this whole idea that books should not be didactic at all. They shouldn't be teaching any lessons. So I was like, okay, I'll read my kids these pretty stories in books. But I started making them up and I would just, they would say something or do something. And kids really don't want to be told what to do. Adults don't either. You know, if we say do this or don't do that, adults kind of recoil as well. So I believe in that show, don't tell. And also let kids be the ones seeing in the story how they want to behave. So I, 
So the outline of those stories were actually birthed when my kids were very young. And I'll give you an example that's not the story, Tina Searches for Her Dream, which is the one that's launching in September, I mean, in, in February. My daughter didn't like to share. My son, on the other hand, if you said anything, he'd go, sure, and he would just hand it to you. But my daughter was more like, mine. And she even had one of those big plastic playhouses and everything got thrown in that playhouse because it was mine. So it wasn't gonna work with me telling her, share, please share Sarah, which I tried, right? So instead I created a story about the suspicious snake that did not like to share, not here, not anywhere. And after a couple of times of telling her the story, I could just see the light go on in her eyes and she started sharing. And to this very day, she's one of the most generous people I know. So the mission and purpose of Feel Good Fables that we just launched, which as you said, has 12 stories that will be, will be coming out over the next three years, is to help children to learn how to navigate through very complex emotions and to understand better how to handle things that come their way. And that's really at the heart of the story. Amazing. And, and how did you, like, when did you decide to write these books and how did the writing process look like for you? The writing process was, process was a little challenging in that when I was telling stories, you know, you add a lot of extra words. And so I wanted to write them as cleanly as possible because I wanted them to be short. I wanted them to be, have an impact, you know, Parents are tired. Parents are like over, and especially now they're overwhelmed and, and overworked. And so it's really, my idea was to have books that would be two, three, four, five minutes long and deliver the whole message. And I, so I didn't want to waste any words. I wanted the words to be as clear, but just as juicy as possible. I wanted the characters to be relatable. And I wanted in each one, covers a different like different aspect of, of an emotion or an issue. For example, one is about bullying and the other is about getting into the head of why someone becomes a bully. It can be, you know, environmental sustainability. And the first one, Tina, covers a lot of the issues that you actually asked today because Tina starts off, her mom's a prima, so she, ballerina, so she thinks she can be a prima ballerina, but she didn't inherit her mom's ability to do that. But she sticks with it. She keeps trying and trying and she doesn't let up. But then finally she's on stage and she's kind of tumbled there and she's looking behind her and it's like, there must be a better dream out there for me. And so she goes on this journey and she tries all these sports. And just like in life, you might find it right away. You might not. She didn't. She was no good at this sport, no good at that sport, no good at this sport, no good at that sport. And then she finds it. She realizes that, that horseback riding is hers. She sees, you know, a little girl trying by and thinks to herself, why not give it a try? And she teaches us that same lesson that we were discussing. It doesn't matter the sunk cost. She found her dream and she shows us all, go for it. Just go for your dream. And the parents are there actually cheering her on. And yeah. at the end of the story, because there's another message in there, I always like to have a lot of different messages kind of embedded in a very simple story. So that each time you can pick up something else. And I also, as a parent who remembered reading all those stories, it was like again and again, I wanted the parents to be able to get uh, some messages and some healing as well. And at the very end, all of these friends some in their little ballet clothes, some in their little soccer clothes, some in their, all have come to cheer her on because I want people to, and little kids in particular, to be excited when their other friends succeed. And I want people to cheer them on and realize that you gain, going back to what we talked about earlier, you gain with every experience. You learn from everything you do. And the idea is just to not let that fear of rejection or the fear of failure, or even, you know, she was 
tumbling. She was falling. <laughs> she was she was landing in the water. She was what anyone would say being humiliated, right? But no, you just keep going. You laugh it off and you just keep going. And why is this so important to you? Why is which part so important or the, or the stories? All of it, doing this, you know, putting, putting these books out there and, and uh, you know, going wholeheartedly after something like this because it takes a lot of work. You're right, it does. I love people and I really, from my soul, know that everyone is here for a reason and a purpose. And life throws obstacles, life throws storms at us, life throws so much. And, you know, going back to the idea of the birds, when birds are flying, they hit thermals, downward thermals, and it pushes them down. But birds don't stop flapping and fall to the ground. They flap harder until they catch an upward thermal and find their altitude again. And that's what I want for everyone. It's not that, it's not that we aren't going to face winters, but when it comes to seasons, we know spring's around the corner. But so many times with emotions and especially with, with firmly held beliefs, people start to forget that there is spring there. There is an upward thermal we can catch if we keep flapping our mighty wings. So I want to be able to help as many people as I can. And I I love children. I, I see too many times people, again, are struggling today with what they picked up when they were young. And often you don't even remember what messaging got into your head when you were young, but it's there. And it just keeps playing all these little, these doubt thought cycles that can just, again, be like that downward thermal pushing us down. So through the kids' books, and you're right, it is a, it's a big deal to get them written, illustrated, printed, published, publicizing, all of it. And I never did any of it. So it's also that, what am I doing? <laughs> right? It's that back to scratch again. We all want to be like experts at something. And I think one of the things that's hard to do as we move on in life is to go back to being a beginner, go back to being the novice, going back to, I don't know what I am doing here, but you figure it out. You don't, you don't let that make you think less of yourself. It's switching that mindset, going back to the, the beliefs. One of my quotes is, beliefs are like seeds and bulbs. They will grow what you plant. And when we reach adulthood, we all have a lot of, we have a lot of plants in our garden already, but we also can end up with a lot of weeds. So the flowers, the beautiful foliage, those beliefs that really serve us, keep them all. But those beliefs that were weeds that usually came from someone else's story or someone else's narrative or someone saying, you're not good at this, whatever it is, pull those out. And that's why I wanted to do these stories, because I really want to make a difference in children's lives. So as they get older, they can manage, you know, kids I was going to say, people look at little kids, look at little ones, and they think they're not dealing with as much as I'm dealing with, or I'm, I'm the one with all the responsibilities. What are they? They're not having to handle as much. But kids are little, but their emotions are huge. They're dealing with so much. And in some ways, it's almost worse for them because they're in your boat. You're the one that has the wheel. You're the one that can take the wheel. They have to go where you go. They have, but they're feeling the buffeting. They're feeling the storms. They're experiencing it all, all of it. But they don't necessarily have the equipment yet to deal with it. Most of, most of the time, they're experiencing something for the first time. What is this emotion? Why is this person bullying? Why is this happening? So it would give me the greatest joy if, person by person can be elevated or clarified and empowered. Thank you for sharing that. I, I have a question. You were talking about winters. Uh, what has been your biggest winter in your life? And what did you learn from that? Wait, I'm sorry. What did you say my biggest? Winter. Uh, so you were talking about winters and the tough periods of life. So what has been your biggest winter and, and what have you learned from that? 
I think that the toughest time was when I was explaining earlier, when I was on my own, mid-20s, divorced, and just really facing down the barrel of I succeed or I fail on my own in an area where I know nothing. And, and in brokerage and in finance, it's really the razor's edge every day. And I decided that the way I was going to do it was by being completely forthright with my clients. So there are a lot of hidden fees. There are a lot of ways to go around things. And I decided I'm just going to be totally honest. I'm going to explain everything. And the other piece at that time was that anyone that's been in sales at all knows the little storyline that it's 100 cold calls, 60 contacts, people actually reach, 10 qualified, and then one client. And I realized I didn't have the time because of what I'd said earlier, I had to get a certain number of clients by that time. So there was another time when I was again, looking down the barrel of, I won't make it. And so I pivoted and decided to do it differently. And I started speaking. I set up speaking engagements with rooms of people that were already qualified investors. And I made sure there were at least 80 or 100 people in the room. So I already had, instead of 10, after all these cold calls, 80 to 100, but then I was up there as the expert as opposed to the one trying to get them to come to me. And then if I was able to show them that I knew what I was doing and they came to me, they started knocking on my door. They wanted to sign up to be a client of mine. So my conversion ratio became very large. And then I also had the people who didn't become clients, but I had their names and phone numbers from the signup, original signup for the event. So I was able to call them. So these were all what you would call hot leads, but I didn't look at people that way. I looked at people as a way that I wanted to help them grow their wealth and they had actually gotten to know me. So that was my, that was my toughest pivot and having gone through it and come out the other side and thank God been able to make success of it. I realized that we just, it's going back to, again, sorry to go back to Tina, but it's, there's a line in there, just the, the trainer called out, waving her crop, keep going, keep going, keep going, don't stop. And that's it. Yeah. It's that stop. It's when you hit the adversity, when you hit the, the, the downward thermal, when you hit that point where you feel like, oh, I don't think I'm going to make it. You have to shift your mindset really believe in yourself because that's what entrepreneurship really is, right? It's believing in yourself. And I do believe, as I was saying earlier, that each person is a gift to the world. And so to help tap into that and go forward. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you're right. A lot of times we look at things in life as far as especially in business as conversions, as hot leads and, uh, or whatever, but it's people we're dealing with. And um, we want that human connection. And I've noticed that this year more than ever that we all want human connection. We all want to be a part of something. And uh, I, like, I like your mission a lot. Uh, you, wanted, you want people to give a, a million books. Can you just talk about that idea as well? And also uh, why you want to share these books with, with the whole world? And especially, I mean, success, the main factor of success, whatever that is, but let's talk about fi financial success, is the zip code you were born in. And I think that's so unfair. Mm -hmm. uh, and it makes me so sad. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm all, all on board with what you're saying. And uh, I just want to see how, like, how are you going to do this and how do you get this idea? Thank you for that. I, I'm so with you on that. And it's, I mean, it takes my breath away just thinking and feeling what you were just talking about. And over the next few years is when we want, as we're rolling out the box, we want to be able to, as you said, with the support of individual and corporate sponsors, be able to donate a million books into the hands of children in underserved communities. And whether it's through Title I schools or 
community, we want to make sure that it's in their hands because so many kids, you know, literature is so important to each child's growth and development. And so many kids don't even own a book. And yet, I'm sorry, it's like I get emotional yeah. about, I do, I get emotional about how few kids have that. And so I want to make sure that kids can actually own their book that has messages and meanings and shows that we care. Someone gets a book, it's handed to them from someone they don't know. They know out there in the world, people care about them. And with Tina, as you know, it was that we wanted to, the entire book is filled with diverse characters because only about 20% of books even have any diversity in the book. So the entire book is diverse and then you can choose your lead Tina. So there, it's the same book throughout, but there's a completely different Tina lead. So someone can choose the Tina with the deepest skin tone, medium skin tone and lightest skin tone because it's also really important that people can see themselves reflected in the books that they read. And this should be a pretty normal idea, but I have to tell you, going back to what you were saying is hard. It took us two months to get the book up on Amazon in its three versions because Amazon's algorithm doesn't compute. You want one book with, with three different skin tones? You want, and I believe that in time that's going to become one of their standard algorithms. But right now we had to work really hard just to get the three books to show. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, I think the world is changing a lot because of people just like yourself and that, that are seeing that we all want to be connected and we all, we all want to relate as well, right? Uh, how, how are you planning on reaching this goal? So we're reaching out to corporations and individuals who have a natural inclination to help in literature and also those that, that haven't even necessarily thought about it. And as you've said, more and more people and companies, institutions are becoming aware. And awareness is such a beautiful word because as we come, become aware, we have a chance to actually shift and make a difference and people are responding. Companies are responding. People hear about the mission and they're excited because while we want you know, major contributions, someone can go on to the website and just even buy one book, just know that they're putting one book into the hands of one child and each person matters. So each child matters. And as they get the book, and we're, I'm very excited that I found a company in New York that's housing the books, warehousing the books, and they actually can put the box, the books right along the lines of how the teachers' classrooms are set up. So for example, uh -huh. teacher can say, I want X number, I want 10 middle skin tinas. I want, and we'll box it exactly for their class. And send it to them so the kids know it was it's right for them that's cool and uh, what is your plan for the next uh, three years uh, you told you're going to release 12 books how is that going to you know pan out and how can people follow and learn more about uh, the kids that are reading tina to get more of the stories oh that's such a great question the website is feelgoodfables.com the Instagram is at feelgoodfables. And we do plan to start posting as the book gets into the children's hands, stories about them. They can see where their books are going to. They can see the, the bright, happy faces. I've tutored in the, in the Boston area and learned firsthand how absolutely exquisite phenomenal these young kids are they're so smart they're so bright and you just see in their eyes they're so ready to dream big 
even though they might not even have internet at home, let alone computer. And maybe one person has the phone, but it's the parent or the or the caretaker, and they or and they don't. They don't have access. But I see it in their eyes. And just giving them a shot, just giving them the chance, just giving them again this evidence, this proof. The world out there, people out there care. They see them. You know, this see, think about the word see, I see you. They get that message. And as they grow up, and the, the books are really well-made books, they're hard copy books, they're offset printing. I didn't want to cut any costs in terms of delivering something of of real permanence to them. You're talking about dreaming big. Why do you think it's so important to dream big? Oh, because I think people have tremendous potential and what that dream is, what big is, when I, when I was saying earlier about you're the executive in your own life, take the lead, that is just take control of your life. That big dream could be, I want to be a mom or I want to be a stay-at-home dad. I w-. Dreaming big to me, to me means own your dream. What's your dream? And, and it's not letting any like, barriers or, or obstacles get in the way of your even thinking what that is. That's what I mean by dream big. It doesn't mean you have to have some, like you were saying earlier, it doesn't have to be the financial pillar. It doesn't have to be, you know, I think some of the people that we marvel at and remember the most throughout history weren't the ones that were, were gaining financial success. They're the ones that actually contributed the most in the world and helped people. So it's open your heart, open your mind, trust yourself and allow your dream to come into focus and follow it. I love that. And for people that are struggling right now that are listening to this and they they don't know where to start, what what is the first step? When When you're in that whirlpool pulling down that's real and the, the current moment is so desperate, Sometimes the only way out in the moment is to take time. Like I said earlier, when I was making my own decision about what to do, but this is different. This is a profound life situation. It's still important to visualize a future time that isn't like today. You know, that's like being in the middle of the worst storm. So visualize. And the way that I really recommend visualizing is to go someplace very peaceful just someplace you can be alone. For some people, it just means get into a car. Just find a place where you can be by yourself. See your future, but way out there. Don't, like, if it's too close, then the reality of the present is really going to bear in. Try to go out at least three years. And what would your life look like if none of the problems and issues you're dealing with today existed? If you were living your dream? And it doesn't have to be a specific, oh, I am doing this. It's more of a feeling. What does, what are you wearing? What are you walking like? What are you feeling like? Are you walking down the street just like, yes? Are you, are you just gleeful? You can see your expression, whatever it is in that visualization that means you're in the clear, you're in happy. You're either on the road to your success or you're living your success and hold on to that very full vision and bring your emotions into it and then let it be. Trust yourself that that can happen. And then as situations come up in your day, you'll know if something is aligned with that feeling and not aligned. And every little small step you can take will help. Even starting with journaling at night What's one thing you can do the next day, one, that can help you along that path, even if it means I've been meaning to exercise, but I'm feeling too depressed. I can't even barely get myself out of bed and exercise even for a minute. Actually, because of that question, 
may I read something from my quote book? Because it kind of... Yeah, I would love to. Life is not always paved with petals that lie softly beneath our feet, protecting us from the harshness of stony paths. When buffeted by the strong winds of despair and the swirling fears about what might lie ahead, remember that when you are in the middle of the worst, you are already halfway there. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy, for taking the time today to be with us here. Um, I love what you do and uh, we're excited for this new chapter and journey in your life. Um, thanks again. Is there any final words that, words that you want to share with our audience? Yes, I would like to thank you because through your podcasts, you are connecting people all over all over with their eyes, their ears, their minds. You are, you're creating magic. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. And thank you everybody that are here with us today that are listening, watching. And if you're still here an hour in, in, in a 2020, one hour is a long time where most of our attention span is three seconds, <laughs> like a goldfish. So uh, we love you guys. We're here to support you. I want to hear from you. Let us know what your dreams are, what you're struggling with, how we can help you. Uh, you can reach me very easily on social media. And uh, if you want to hear more stories and more amazing conversations, go to ilovesuccess.co. I think that was it for this week. Um, I have a big mission as well. I want to help at least 10 million people to go after their dreams. I can't do that myself, so I'll need your help. So if you enjoy this conversation, please share it with somebody. Give us a review on iTunes so we can grow and, and help more people. Thank you so much and talk to you soon.